0: What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. How's everyone doing? I hope doing amazing. I'm doing amazing because it's Friday. Uh, my name's Indy, and uh, the gentleman here with me, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to Indie Game Business. And today, we're talking about money. Do you got some? Do you want some? How do you get it? Where's it come from? Does it grow on trees? Well, we're gonna talk with Pontius Mahler about how indie game developers can secure funding for their projects. So
1: welcome back to the show, Pontus. And as you noted, it, it has been almost a year to the day since almost had exactly. you had on here last. So that's that's very cool. Um, you, you've been on here before, but let's still start where we always <laughs> enjoy starting. Tell us how you got into the industry initially and then walk
2: us through your career up to what you're doing right now. All right, I'll try to keep it slightly shorter than, than last time because uh, I know we went very deep into this topic. But yeah, very happy to be here. You know, it's been yeah 13 days on the spot from uh, you know a year basically since I was last on the podcast. But yeah, uh, my career uh, in a much shorter version than last year is uh, I started off as a uh, well super beta tester at a company called S2 Games uh, for a game called Heroes in New Earth. I think they were based in Kalamazoo, in Michigan. And we were working. Uh, yeah, on the game Heroes of New Earth, which was a, you know, the in in the initially meant to be Dota 2. You could say, like, you know, it was had Ice Frog and a bunch of other designers involved in the project. And uh, we, you know, I fell in love with the game right away, and I ended up becoming a professional gamer in this game, which was not exactly my plan. I actually was studying psychiatry to become a psychiatrist. So uh, yeah, I played the game, you know, like any casual player. Ended up being a lot better than I thought I was, and ultimately jump started my career working for an organization called denial Esports, and then I started my own esport organization later on called uh, Sync Esports, and I played professionally for eight years. So I had you know my own Twitch channel. That's why there is lapped on the screen there. That's my old gamer tag. I did the YouTube, you know, the whole thing uh, for eight years full time. On the side, I also had a bunch of consulting clients, generally in the video game industry, primarily in esports before but I also did some game design consulting on the side for a couple of companies. So that's kind of how I got jump-started into the video game side of things. So nowadays, I've completely left esports aside. Uh, I did work uh, with a couple of larger uh, companies in the last five years, but we'll skip ahead and go to where I am today. So today I'm the director of business development for Global Top Round. What we do is really awesome, and it kind of ties into all the topics today, which is we invest in 10 companies per year. Uh, All very early game startups, and we basically work with them on the business side to help them with raising money, finding publishers, licensing, distribution, all these different types of deals. My job is to scout, find the studios, and then actually lead them through the entire journey of not having any money or very little until eventually closing that large deal to develop their dream project. Uh, On on top of that, since we last spoke, Jay, uh, we've also developed our second company now called G-Round where I'm also the director of business development, basically building mostly strategy on that side, where we try to help uh, well companies as early as indie game developers, all the way up to AAA to basically ad- analyze their titles at any stage. So whether it's like an MVP or prototype, or just before market launch, you bring the game to us, we give you a bunch of data that you can then use to well either launch your game really well in the markets that you find out to be your top ones, Or you go back to the drawing board and you're like, okay, we might have to change a couple of things, mechanics missing and so forth. So it's been a very exciting year. Uh, We've raised over uh, $18 million pretty much since we last saw each other uh, for all of our developers. And, you know, in the total scope of the industry, that might not sound like a lot to some of the attendees here. But for Indies, we're extremely happy about the performance. And, you know, we hope to continuously every year do more deals and help more startups grow. That's well. One,
1: congratulations, because yeah, that that is new, and it's no small feat to go and grab funding, no matter where you are in the industry. Um, yeah. So, walk us through a little bit about the high-level process of going and getting money, and we'll get into, you know, presentations and and all of that sort of stuff as well. But what are some of the first things that these developers need to know before they start going out and? searching for funding and, and where do they need to start?
2: Yeah, so, so that's a great question. And uh, as you know, I talk too much, so please cut me off at any time. Uh, no, but what the more really wanna... you talk,
1: the less I have to do, Pontus. So you know, that's, <laughs> that's all good.
2: <laughs> okay. So yeah, what I really want to dig into, and this is because it just came up last week, and I, every bi-weekly, I have a call with you know other people in the industry where we try to give each other advice and tips, and we just talk about random topics and one topic that came up was exactly that how do you find your first money and the conclusion or well my opinion and the conclusion i would say of most people in that call is that a lot of you know indie developers in particular that come to ask for money normally have not invested anything themselves or are very very early stage and the first thing i want to say is when you come to me or someone much bigger than global top round or a publisher of vc it doesn't matter to anyone and you have not put anything in yourself, that is a huge red flag. And of course, not everybody has money. So, sweat equity is something, if you're not familiar with the term, sweat equity is basically not paying yourself, or you're doing the work. And that is something that we want to see. So, when we talked about this topic uh, last week, this is a private call, by the way, so not uh, public, um, we kind of went into the different points like, what are the different steps you can take? And there are pretty much three major ones. And I'm gonna ignore the you know, very big studios or big backgrounds or AAA backgrounds and just focus on indie. So for indie, most of you probably don't have you know, a big fancy education or have worked in Ubisoft or any of these companies, and you're probably starting from scratch. There is nothing wrong with that, working with people like me, to be very clear. But it does give you a little bit of a disadvantage, of course. If you wanna ask for a 250, 500K, usually above 500K is extremely hard if you have nothing. So you can do one thing, which is you know you take your savings and you start building and just building and you just nail it something down and you build a prototype you try to find some like-minded people that likes your idea and you build a starting point. That's one way you can do it, which is I hope most of you are doing this. Number two can be that you know you go for friends and family money you know you you go for angels and this is not something that we at global top run or me personally recommend because giving out equity very early, is not something that we think is a very smart idea, especially if you are a very talented person. You think you have an amazing concept. Giving up that hard earned equity in the beginning is not great. Of course, if you have no savings, there might not be any other choice. So if you do have to raise money, always go to friends and family first. I'm sure you have you know, yeah, close friends or family members that believe in you as a person. Maybe they can you know, help you with ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to help you build that initial MVP and prototype. And if you have no savings, that is the way to go, we would say. And of course, make sure that you actually give them a portion of your company and it's not a loan or anything like that. Um, yeah, the third way, which pretty much is a no every single time, is when you just go to a VC right away and you ask for money. Or you come to us and you ask for money and you don't have anything. It's not really going to work, guys. You know, a great example is I had this uh, lovely girl in, in Brazil when I was being pitched, I think this was two years ago, at big festival. She came to me with a really cool, like, amazing art in the deck. you know, And the deck was really interesting, and the game concept made perfect sense. Then it came down to the funding slide, and she was asking for $15 million. Oh, my god. And Yes, and keep in mind here, she's a solo person. Yes, there were some other people in the deck, but none of these people had ever made a game before. And she was asking for $15 million. And I asked her, how did you come up with this number? And how are you going to manage this team? You have no experience. Obviously, she did not really have an answer to that. So (laughs) uh, generally, any investor, publisher, angel, anyone in our industry, guys, will not think very highly of your project if you haven't at least put in something yourself. So to backtrack to the conclusion of the private call, so to speak, what we all agreed upon is that the best way to get started is just making something. Just making something, no matter how you do it, sweat equity, savings family and friends money it doesn't matter build something first prove your capacity because if you don't have that big fancy background i'm going to judge you based on the game so that is very important to us and as a side note which also ties into this is find like-minded people trust me there are hundreds if not you know thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people that want to make games out there and starting as a solo developer is very tough and I promise you, if you're active on Reddit, you're active on Twitter and all of these different places, you will be able to find a partner. And I don't think we have time to go into how to structure that potential partnership today. But, you know, find like-minded people, like co-founder or two co-founders that can help you build a startup into something. Have them work with the prototype with you. You know, of course, reward everyone equally, maybe based on the amount of work that's put in and then come and pitch people like me or other investors or publishers when you have a demo. That is the absolute best way to get started. So if you're sitting watching this, you have a pitch deck, you don't have anything, chances of me saying yes to this is probably 0.1%. There are other people out there that will say yes. There are sometimes amazing pitches, and you know there will be a yes, but having a demo and a prototype will always be better. And most importantly, yes, publishers, right? If you have not invested a single dollar yourself or a single amount of time, you're not going to get the best terms. The more you work on the demo the, or, or the vertical slice or whatever stage you're at, the better terms you can negotiate with publishers. So in my opinion, that was a long answer is how you should get started in short. Well, I, I've already got two
1: follow-up questions and we're just now <laughs> getting started. All right. So mm-hmm. if it's a bad idea to go to VCs mm-hmm. upfront and start asking and handing out early stage equity, how is that different from going to friends and family and giving them
2: equity great question because uh, first of all the time you're going to be spending pitching these vcs is almost going to be null you're going to be wasting all your time remember i'm talking indie i know you guys read articles on ign where you know ex-blizzard executives raised 50 million dollars with a paper pitch that's not what's going to happen to you okay so first of all you're going to be wasting your time on the vcs 99.9 percent of your time but also VCs take a much larger portion of the equity than your friends and family does. Why? They're taking a significant amount of risk in people that have no proven concepts or done anything before. Why would they take less than, let's say, 30 40 or even 50% of your company? You have nothing to show for it, right? So you're going to lose so much of your company before you've even gotten started. Because the chances are that that first round that you race will not be enough to fund the whole game. So let's say you give out 30% actually I'm going to use an example, okay, because I have a great example. I got pitched a, a game last year at, I believe it was Nordic game. And exactly that. They went to ABC. They raised $150,000 or euros either way only. They sold 30% of their company for that amount of money. That barely got them anywhere. They then made an amazing prototype, which they had already, by the way, before that money. And then they signed a publishing deal, which probably jumped their valuation 10 times. Now that $150,000, they didn't need that to sell this game. It was already pretty good enough, but instead they were like very desperate and they really wanted the cash. They took it and they lost so much money in that particular situation. I'm pretty sure you could have approached friends and family or angels, which is a step below the VCs to try and raise that 150K. You would have saved a lot more equity because these people are there to believe in you. VCs are there to manage risk. They have other investors or LPs. uh, I'm not going to go into LPs and stuff, but other people that gave them the money, that made the VC, right? and they have an obligation to manage risk for these other investors. And they can't just come in and say, like, "Okay, we're going to give you $500,000 for 5%. They're going to come in and negotiate extremely hard with you to take as big of a portion as possible because they're the first risk takers. So if you go to friends and family first, you've taken away that first risk step. The most risky period is always before you've made a game, before you have a prototype, before you've seen the creativeness and the talent of the team. So if you take that to friends and family, maybe you'll lose 5, 10, 15, maximum 20. You can keep it that way. Keep the rest of the equity with yourself. Once you've proven yourself, go out and find other money so yes that's why you should not go to vcs right away all right that makes sense if if it's one if it's the time
1: investment if, but then two yes. yeah if, if you don't have to give away as much then yeah that makes perfect sense um and and dark goosey souls yes vcs are venture capitalists um so you, you brought up another point which i've always been curious about and i actually had someone ask me this the other day and i had no idea how to answer it because it's not something that i can fathom doing if you don't have a Mm co-founder, you talk about going out and getting one. Yes. I call it cold cold calling for a co-CEO. How do you approach that? I mean, are there specific places that you go to first?
2: How would you even go about doing that to get to that next level? So before even answering that question, I want to say something really nice about the gaming industry. This is one of the most transparent industries in the world, like the video game portion. I would say that esports, where I come from, is a lot of scams and a lot of bubbles and other things. But the video game industry, that's not as easy. There are a lot of people in this industry. There is a lot of talk going on. If you screw up, that is, people are going to know. So with that said, you as a random person can come to me And ask have you ever talked to this guy you know can you have you heard about him or her is there anything that you can say and you can send this to multiple people to kind of vet them and by the way that's exactly what you should do if you want to work with me if you like everything i say in this podcast you should not just be like pontus i want to work with you you should go and verify everything i say with other people whether it's through articles podcasts industry people doesn't matter always verify and in the video game industry let's mention people talk openly because it's a very open industry. I'm sitting here in a hoodie, you know, we're not we're not here in suits, right? We're here because we all love video games and we wanna talk about them. So if I do something bad or I screw someone over, trust me, you will know. The same thing goes for other people. So first of all, that. Now, when it comes to finding your co-founder, you're probably not gonna, you know, they might not have that, a lot of background. They might not have interacted with a lot of people. So there might not be as much information, that's true. So instead, you know, go over their social media. It's like hiring someone, right? Look over all the things that they've done, their Githubs, their previous artwork, depending on the position of the person. And most importantly, find someone who's opposite of you. You don't want to find someone who is doing the same thing you are. You want to find someone that complements you, either by another skill or another factor or a difference of opinion, because that's the best way you make a game. Having someone that can always add more value to yourself and improve your own personality and your own goals. So when you go out there looking for someone, again, whether it's LinkedIn, Reddit, YouTube, or, or whatever, find as much information as you can about them, even on their own personal social medias. You, know? you, can find, sorry, you can find a lot of information about someone on what they post on Twitter, what they post on Reddit, what they post on LinkedIn, and also who they follow and everything that they do. Do your due diligence. And once again, you talked about co-CEO, Jay. So look at yourself. What are your capabilities? Are you even going to be able to be your own CEO in the future? Not everyone is meant to be a manager. you know. I, I've been managing people my whole life. I would say I'm okay at it, and I'd like to do it, but there are certain things which I'm not good at whatsoever. And what I make sure to do is that some of my staff can compliment me. They can make sure that where I'm bad, they can fill in that hole. Same thing goes for you when you're looking for your co-founder. What kind of extra you know, value can they add to not only you, but the company, right? Remember, no matter how much you guys love, you know, indie games and hobby and how much of a hobby or whatever this is. Ultimately, it is a business. If you're making a game, you want to make money, which means you got to find people that can help you build a business, not only a game. So if you don't have management capabilities, but maybe you're an amazing programmer, maybe you want to find a co-founder that can manage people that have maybe been a manager in some other ways, maybe not in gaming. Maybe they worked in a, I don't know, supermarket. doesn't matter, you know. You need to find someone that, Compliments you that's the ultimate goal yeah I, I will totally
1: concur with that because i didn't start the powell group to be in charge of anyone and now yeah. i'm in charge of people and that was not the original plan um <laughs> all right so you've got the, in our theoretical scenario here you've got everything set up ready to go out you need to start putting together these pitch decks and so yeah. there are there is a lot of information that you know a pitch deck to a publisher will also have in a pitch deck to an investor, but it's not one hundred percent the same by any means. What needs to be in these decks, and how can the developers make their presentation more appealing
2: to investors? So before I dig into that question, I kind of want to backtrack very quickly on the actual game development process itself. Before you even build a pitch deck, you should have the pitch deck in your head. Like you're you're building this game for who? for what and for why. And these are very, very different things when it comes to the game. Because when you're making the game, it can't just be because you you love this genre. You know, If you're looking to find a publisher, you're looking to find an investor, you need to have an ulterior purpose or a motive of where you're going to go. So before you even build a presentation, you should know in your head, okay, I'm making this game for, let's say, Southeast Asians. They have a certain kind of art style. They have a certain kind of genre that's very popular. And that fits perfectly into what you're capable of doing. If you already have that in your head, when you start building the pitch, you already know you're going to add in a slide that's like, OK, this game is perfect for these markets, and it has these competitors, etc. So way before you build a pitch, right now, if you have not fully thought out about your concept, think about who you're targeting and, and what you're targeting. Because who you're targeting can be regions, it can be a certain religion, it can be anything like that. And what, like, are you targeting PC, console, mobile? Like, what is your ultimate kind of you know, goal? So start with that before you build your pitch you need to have thought about this because when you build your pitch deck and then you don't have any sort of research behind why your game is going to succeed how are you going to ask for a million dollars or half a million or even two hundred thousand dollars right so start there now i I love talking about that in particular because i'm going to say that now in this question so how do you actually make your presentation more or, or more appealing so first of all every publisher every you know investor has a different kind of, let's call it pet peeve or a personal preference, I would say that no matter what, there is so much awesome material out there, and I'm going to call out one publisher in particular, Raw Fury. If you have no idea how to make a deck, go to Raw Fury's website right now and download the template. Now, I do not agree with everything in Raw Fury's pitch deck, to be clear, but it's a great starting point, and that is a really good template. Like, if you come to me with that, I'm happy. Now I have a lot of extra things I want to add in, but it's a great starting point. So if you've never built a pitch and you're listening, go to Rafir's website, download it, check it out. So what what do I want to see, right? And before I dig into like slide one, two X, let's talk about one thing which is so important right now that nobody really does. And it digs into what I just said. Who are you targeting the game towards? 90% of all the pitches I get have a new Sue slide With how big the market is, billions of this, billions of that, female-male ratio this, I don't care. I I really don't. Like, this is the worst slide to put in the deck whatsoever. And then you're like, I'm going to target 10% of the console market. No, you're not. AAA cannot target 10% of the console market. How are you going to? What I want to know is how are you going to capture 1% of, let's say, Thailand, because I live here. How are you going to capture 1% of that market? That's a significant amount of money, by the way. In order for you to make a profitable game, you need to capture 1% of highlight. Think about that for a second. So, if you come to a publisher claiming you're gonna claim 10% of the global market between the age of 13 and 35 who likes action games, I'm deleting that slide out of my head right now. It's just bad, okay? So, (laughs) focus on your genre, what your competitions are. And why do you think your game will be very good for, let's say, Northern Europe or all of Europe or all of NA? You know, some games are very global. They can fit pretty much everybody. The reality is you don't have the money or the experience to launch it to everybody. So even if you wanted to, you can't succeed, at least not before you have that awesome partner. So what I want to see is, okay, if you don't have me, how would you launch this game? You know, what would you do as your business and your company if you did not have an investor or a publisher? And your slides will tell me that. Because if you give me the news to slide, again, done. If you give me that you can successfully target 5% of Southeast Asia because of A, B, C, D, and E, now I'm very interested. Because then, you know, me who has more experience, I'm talking theoretically here as a publisher, I'm not a publisher, <laughs> then I can be like, okay, awesome. These guys know how to target Southeast Asia. But you know what? This might be a great fit in Germany too maybe in Japan, maybe in Korea, and you're instantly sparking that thought in the publisher's head that these guys know what they're doing for Southeast Asia, and I can add my expertise on top to help them launch in more markets, help them localize, and so forth. Almost none of my pitches have that slide. And for me, that is key. If you have that, you're instantly in my top because I understand more about how you think as a person about your game, and I know you thought before you developed where you're going to sell it then you and I together can build this into a much larger plan and then launch it. So that's my pet peeve, by the way. I think that's pretty obvious. (laughs) So to go back to what's required in the general pitch deck, right? Now, there are two types of pitch decks, of course. Uh, Well, there's more, but publisher is an investor. So let's dig in briefly into both. On the publisher side, they mostly care about your game unless you're speaking to double A AA or AAA publishers who might want to do a huge IP with you or even acquire you eventually, you don't have to focus too much on the company or the financial side as in, you know, what kind of equity or what kind of cap table you have. A cap table means the amount of re- equity between all your founders. Um, they're not really going to care. You don't need that slide, which means you have one extra little slide where you can add more information about the game. They kind of, core concept or core amount of slides for me is 12 slides 12 plus one 12 slides about the game slash company and one slide with the contact of course email at blah 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 um so with the publishers focus more on the game add more information about what you came up with add in that market analysis slide trust me that is really good and i use it all the time with our own studios it's very good um so yeah more more information about the game so you should start off first by you know who are you, What? why did you decide to make this game, and what have you previously done? These slides can come later. I'm just going to tell you what I like, OK? And I'm an investor, not a publisher, so this might be wrong for certain publishers. But I always like to see who the team is first. Like When I open up the pitch, I'm like, OK, it's these four or five guys and girls from this country, awesome, these different positions, OK, cool. All right, and then we dig into, OK, they have previously done, or it's on the same slide, these different types of projects. Or if you haven't done anything, that's fine. So if you haven't done anything before, add in hobbies, what kind of school you went to, or what you like to do in your free time. Because if you don't have anything interesting in your career, I want to learn more about you. And you might not think that's interesting, but it is actually. You know, If if you play tennis in your free time, that's a fun topic I can bring up in our first call. You know? Add in something more fun and personal about yourself if you don't have the career. Um, on the uh, so so after that you dig into why you decided to make this game and this is going to be between you know two to seven slides depending on how well you can kind of narrow it down first thing is you know just a general game this is the, the setup this is what it is this is why we built it then you dig into of course the mechanics what is the mechanics in the game and the USPs if you haven't heard about USPs before the simple word is what makes your game unique Now, if your game isn't that unique, which is, by the way, very hard to do nowadays, making a unique game is almost impossible, to be honest, because there are so many concepts and so many AA and AAA games. So if it's not that unique, what are you doing better than other games? Right? So just because you're not unique doesn't mean you can't make a good game. So if you're comparing yourself to, let's say, Neon Abyss as a roguelite, what are you doing better than Neon Abyss? Did you add extra animations? Do you have cooler characters? Do you have better graphics? What makes you more interesting? So, when I see a USP slide, which happens a lot with indies, that says, "Oh, we have awesome artwork, we have really good gunfights," I'm like, "That's that's not a USP, guys." I'm and like,
0: on a side note, there's no other game better than Neon Abyss.
2: That's a good game, yes. That's why I, I like. I love use... that game. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. So, you're not always unique, guys, and that's okay. So. Don't add in a USP slide because you read online that you need a USP slide. If you don't have something that's super unique, add in what you're doing better. And the most important thing here is then, right, that if you're doing something better, who are you comparing yourself to? But we'll get to that. So, mechanics, okay? Then, once you've broken down the general mechanics and like kind of setting of the game, I wanna know what each mechanic means. So, what's your progression system? If you have progression, or what's your narrative? If you're a narrative, like how are you going to take me through the experience of the game? Me, as a, you know, I haven't seen your full game yet, right? You have an early demo, hopefully, or you have nothing. And I want to know how you're going to take me. So, remember, in my head right now, I saw you as the team, and then I saw, you know, what you've done before or what your personal pet peeves are. Now I'm seeing the story of the game. Now I want to know how you're going to take me through the game. And then I want to hear about financials and so forth, right? So break down each and every mechanic as much as you can. It can be four or five bullet points per mechanic or whatever, or you know, the general tasks you're going to be doing within the game. Once you've broken that down, then I want to hear you know, what the end game is. So is the end game uh, you're just going to play it one time? Like, what's the replayability, right? Am I going to be able to play this 10, 20, 30 times over, or is it a one-off? And then after that, are you a free to play? You know, are you a games as a service? Are you a premium game? What is your intended price point? And here comes the most important analytics slides, right? Which is how many copies do you think you're going to sell based on what? And this digs into what I talked about in the markets. When you're doing your research, for example, let's take Neon Abyss, right? I think they've sold 700,000 copies now or something. So if you're comparing yourself to Neon Abyss, the chances are you're probably not going to be as successful. That's the reality. It's very hard. They did a great job. So if you compare yourself to them, we need more examples. I like the 3 plus 3 model, which means you're taking three of the worst games and three of the best games, so the most successful and the least successful. You find the middle way, and you look at your concept, and you figure out, OK, where can you kind of end up here based on the uniqueness or the coolness or the extra things that you have in your game. And that will land you on an OK amount of copies. And remember that this forecast, we're all just guessing here. It's not going to be what gets you signed, because what happens is when you eventually get to the negotiation and signature stage, each publisher and investor will do their own forecast. Okay, But we want to know what you think. The most important thing about the pitch deck is us understanding your thought process. So if there's not enough information, we don't really understand how you think, and we might not want to grab a meeting with you. you know That's very, very key. And you also need to captivate us in the first couple of slides for us to keep reading and wanting to do that meeting. So it's important that we see your thought process. So dig into that competitors, general amount of copies you think, and now start digging into the research behind that, right? Which I talked about, the market research. That is my favorite slide. I absolutely love it. So now you've told me the story from the the you know the general team, from the beginning, you built me the story. You've told me about the game, the mechanics, the use piece, amount of sales, and you know, uh, Sorry, lost track there. The amount of sales and then the market analysis, right? So you have all of this, which is awesome. Now I want to know what you're going to make out of all this. Because you might not be thinking about doing this into an IP or making sequels or DLCs. You might not think that's interesting. Yes, it is. We want to know where you're going to take this game if it's successful. A lot of publishers even throw in a DLC clause in the contract. So are you? what's the you know longevity or live ops of this game? Even if it's a one-time premium 10-hour experience, if it's really successful, why would you not want to make a DLC or a sequel, right? So to publishers and investors, you want to add in the long-term of this project, okay? You want to tell us if you want to make DLCs and sequels, and if so, what would they include? Very short, guys, you have one slide to tell us. So it's like, we're going to make a sequel, expanding the story, and a few bullets, you're done, okay? You're not going to be able to tell us anything now because the game's not successful. But again, getting into the mindset and the thought process of you as a developer is very key to us. So that slide is very important. And uh, yeah, now we come back to the final boring slide, which you also need to to have in there, whether it's a, a publisher or an investor. And I'll explain the extra information for the investor, which is the company. You know, when was the company founded? I like to have that in the end. Some publishers want it combined with the team and and all of this. But I like to be told a story personally. So that's why I explained the whole thought process from start to finish. But you, of course, need the company slide. When were you founded? You know, how long have you been in the business? What is the goal of the company? You want to continuously make more IPs, different types of games. You want to specialize in this genre. So if you love roguelites, tell us. You know, you're going to keep making roguelites for the rest of your life. That's really good information and again allows us to understand what you're trying to do. There are there is much more to this, guys, and I can keep talking forever, but this is the most key things that we want in the slide. The Raw Fury deck pretty much includes everything I said. So take a look at that, and that's a great start. Now, final note on the investors. For the investors, include the current equity shares. How much money have you previously raised? Oh, sorry. Okay. That I mentioned that, so I need to jump back. <laughs> we forgot about one slide, sorry. <laughs> how much money are you looking for? What kind of support are you looking for? From either a publisher or an investor, it doesn't matter. We need to know in the first time we're looking at the slide, this is a $200,000 project, $500,000 project, $1 million. How much have you raised so far, and how is the spread of the money going to be spent? how much in salaries outsource, make a simple pie chart of where your money is gonna go. So me as an investor or a publisher know, okay, they need 500K, they need localization, they need QA, they need marketing, and this is how it's gonna be split. Okay, that's very important. I'm sorry for missing that one. Uh, Yeah, so on the investor slide, equity, cap table, we need to know again, like the percentage between all the founders, because if you're trying to raise money from an investor, we need to know how much money you've raised, where it came from, uh, who your other shareholders are, Because, you know, we might want to buy them out, potentially. We might want to talk. If there was friends and family, remember the first people that came to you, maybe they want to take it three times their investment and give us as the investors more shares. And that makes sense, right? Your friends and family get their money back, their hard-earned money that they put in you. We as investors get more shares who is a long-term partner for you. See, I think I didn't miss anything now. I, I completely missed out on the funding slide. Well, yeah, it does, that's it does,
0: it does sound start. like you've talked about this one or two times.
2: I, I've talked about it a few times. Yeah, I actually have done like three pitch deck. I even get a masterclass on pitch decks. So, <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. All right, well, let's, we have some questions in the chat here, so I will pop them up here. Um, this first one is from Calix Jumio says, I honestly wouldn't know where to start answering. Who is this game for? Is it a demographic or something like Dark Souls players?
2: Great question, and you basically answered your, your own thing right there. So, if you're looking, if you have a Souls-like game and you're looking for a Dark Souls kind of, uh, you know, audience, do your market research. Where do most Souls games get sold? And then, of course, look at your own concept. So. Actually, uh, let's use uh, one of our own games, Stray Blade. Of course, one of our own games is always funny to talk about. So, Stray Blade is one of our own Souls like games, uh, which you can find on, on YouTube or whatever. And what sets that game apart is that it has much more light graphics, much more colorful, and much more kind of like happy kind of art style, which fits more with, you know, let's the Asian culture, for example, or the Latin American culture. So, the dark kind of Dark Souls vibe, Bloodborne vibe fits very well with Korea, Japan, Western market. But if you look at the total amount of sales for Dark Souls and Bloodborne in Southeast Asia, it's very low, right? Because it's not really something that they're taught up when they grow up and as a culture, like darkness, blood, violence is very anti-Asian culture. So it doesn't really fit well here generally if you look at percentages, okay? Of course, there are lots of gamers here as well. But when you do research, it's all about percentages. So if you have a Souls-like game, you look first where are all the markets that other games sold in and then now look at your uniqueness or again what you do better and how does that fit into other markets so for us again i use rayblade we know that this game has a higher appeal in asia because it's more colorful and more combat and less kind of gore and darkness so yeah that would be my answer i would say
0: Okay, here's another question right after that from Dark Gucci Souls. Speaking of Dark Souls, how can we reassure a publisher that the team won't be a risk? We have a good pitch deck that many publishers have praised, but the amount of funding required, around 500K, for a team with no prior commercial titles is putting them off.
2: Well, why don't I use Stray Blade again? Because uh, <laughs> Stray Blade has no previous commercial titles. They were five people when we found them. There are now 23 people, and we closed a multi-million dollar deal. Uh, why? Because we found they found us as business partners that made them realize what they're capable of. So my point here is we talked about co-founders earlier. We didn't really dig into aka business partners. I've talked about vetting, so I'm going to skip that. You've heard about what my point is about vetting people. If you do not have previous like business development experience, you do not really know how to reach out to publishers or investors, find a business partner the reality is there is a lot of pontises out there that you can find that are freelance Uh, christopher wolf for example just left those awesome guys great person i don't know if he's available but that's the kind of person that you can reach out to who really knows what he's talking about so you want to find someone that can help you with this because the thing is if you don't have a lot of people don't reach out to business partners because they don't want to pay them they don't want to give out a finder's fee They, you know, they think they can do it themselves. Then they sign that shitty publishing Wait, can I curse on this podcast? I'm sorry. It's a little late now. No, (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. So they, uh, uh, yeah, finding a business partner is very important Um, because the thing is, if you find someone that can really evaluate your project properly, an unbiased person from the outside, then you'll have a whole different perspective of your game. And they can also tell you what you're doing right and wrong. And most importantly is, uh, and I, I will talk about this in a very long story in the future somewhere else, you can pay these people in so many different ways. There are people that don't take any retainer at all, no monthly payment, and they only do it on a success fee, and they don't even do it exlu- like exclusively. You can sign with as many of these as you want to. These, this is a great example of someone that you can find and work with, that can give you all the expertise you need with no risk for you. You know. Ultimately, if they sign a deal and they take $100,000 off your deal, but you get a $1 million project now, pretty sure that's worth it, right? Or if you're sharing some revenue with them, if they close a deal, that's worth it. Alternatively, you know, giving them advisory shares or giving them an incentive, like if you close a deal, we give you 5% of the company. There are so many models you can build with these advisors. So if you don't have the money to pay them, you convince them that your product is good enough, they will work with you. A hundred percent, trust me it happens. So if you don't know, like what you're asking me, right, with the 500K with no previous uh, experience, I have closed with GTR, you know, Rick and the rest of the team, we've closed over 25 different deals in the last couple of years, in the last two years, and almost all of these have no prior experience at all, like zero. And it's only because we build a really good pitch, we talk to the developers, in this case, we're their business partners and advisors, we let them kind of realize their own potential and we use their own words. So, you know, some people might think that, okay, Pontus comes in and he builds the whole pitch for them and then he pitches for them and he does everything. That's not how it works. Because if I did that and then the, you know, we have a really good negotiation with the publisher and due diligence starts and my studio comes in like Pontus talk for me, we're not going to sign the deal. Right? So it's all it's all a learning process, you know, like working with people that are in an unbiased in a different perspective that don't care about you, so to speak, they can give you that advice you need to better shape your pitch and better ask for the right amount of money, because a very big uh, red flag is when you ask for too much money or too little. That shows us as potential investors and publishers that you don't really know what you're talking about. You're never going to probably ask for the right amount of money the first time. That's okay. But we want to see that you at least have some idea of what you're able to deliver. And if you don't know that right now watching this, find someone that can tell you. You can also book a one-time consulting session with these individual people. that can give you an unbiased opinion and review again. And it is worth I mean, Jay does this stuff, I'm pretty sure. So you can hire Jay to do it. You know? I've In all my years in the industry, which is 13 now, what I've learned is that there is always somebody out there that knows more than you. And that's OK. Even now, you know, I'm I'm still very, you know, let's call it junior. That's the r- wrong word. But there is still so much that I can learn as well, and that I still learn week by week by talking to people. Don't be afraid to, you know, talk to people, really. That, that's, that's the ultimate thing. So too long of an answer, but the ultimate answer is you can raise half a million with a good pitch if it's good enough, both in the pitch deck and on the call if you do it the right way.
0: All right. So here's one more question from Silvercoy. Where can we find trustworthy business partners?
2: <laughs> yes, that's a great question. The answer is everywhere. <laughs> like you can literally find them everywhere. It's just a matter of looking. So my first advice is to pay attention to all of these different events, like well, IGB Zone event that's coming up uh, later on in the year. You can take a look at that. You can go over the list and there is a lot of freelance agents out there that you can find book a call the first call is usually free think, see how you feel see how it looks like then do all the vetting talk to other people on linkedin like you can literally again reach out to me like pontus what do you think about jay and i'll be like oh chase the worst don't work what an asshole. That's, <laughs> like, no seriously guys like again it's an open industry you you find some of these agents you vet them with other people don't pay them up front you know get a quick 15-minute call any consultant that doesn't want to talk to you first for at least 15 minutes don't bother right unless they are very proven and have a lot of testimonials then maybe it might be worth it but yeah go on all these different events look at the freelance list first and uh, you can even google you know like industry people pay attention to speakers podcasts and all these different things listen to what they say i mean some of you guys might listen to me now and be like oh this guy you know nope great that's no problem right there's more pontuses out there go find another pontus or another jay so there is more than enough advisors out here and business partners that you can find them. Put in the work, it's worth it because you spending 80 hours, 100 hours finding the right business partner, maybe giving out some rev share and equity in the end will probably get you a better deal. The reality is that 90% of all the horror stories about publishers that are on Reddit and you know, on newspapers and news sites are because the developers did not know what to ask for. And I'll do one quick extra comment here. If the the publisher or investor doesn't allow you to bring legal representation, delete their email. Good God, yes. any any good publisher or investor will always tell you, have your legal counsel review this and take a look at it. And if you don't have money, that's most likely your business partner and your business partner is better than nothing. So lose that 5% equity, lose that 5% rev share or whatever, and get yourself a better deal. Get the better deal. Okay, we got a good one here from 9D Guy.
0: What would you say is the best way for non industry people to get reasonably accurate competitor sales numbers to estimate our own sales? Things like Steam Spy used to be decent for indies, but it's got a pretty wide gap now, and games are increasingly selling on other platforms.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And the honest answer is i i cannot even do that myself anymore because like you said we have epic games store we have gog we have all these different types of platforms. that it's almost impossible to do a perfect analysis but you know what at the end of the day as i mentioned forecasts are forecast research is research you do the, the best you can if you can give me where you found your sources you can tell me how you came up with the number whether it's just steam spy that's okay it's better than nothing i do have some other websites but i don't remember them in my head right now because I just had one of my staff do like an industry-wide search for Steam Spy competitors. He gave it to me last week. I don't, Again, I haven't looked into them yet, but he gave me six different databases, which one of them included Gog and Epic as well. I, I don't know if it's accurate because I haven't vetted them yet, but there are other options out there. But again, the, the reality is you're, you try your best to get as accurate as possible. You're never going to be accurate. It, it doesn't work. There's too many websites nowadays, too much competition that you do your best. That's all we ask for. As an indie developer with no prior experience, I'm not expecting a the best pitch I've ever seen or you to know everything the first time I talk to you. I expect you to show me as much of your personality and your vision as you can with as much research as you can. And that's good enough for me.
0: Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher list. And you can get it for free. Check it out.
1: The bad news is you're always going to be making very educated guesses. Yes. The good news is it's the same very educated, you know, guesses that the rest of the industry is using too. Because until we go back to the days of, uh NPD re- releasing all the retail numbers for whatever exorbitant price they used to do that. Nobody knows. I mean, a, a publisher knows what their own titles are doing. So if it's something comparable there, yeah, they're going to have a better idea. But generally, you know, we all go to Steve Spy and VG Insights <laughs> and all of these sites just like the developers do. So don't overstress on it. Yep.
2: Overstress. All right, so,
1: we covered a lot, and so we got about 10, 15 minutes left. If you have questions <laughs> for Pontus or, or any of us about how to go about and get some funding for your game, make sure you post it either in the chat, wherever you are, if you're on Discord or Twitch or YouTube or LinkedIn or wherever. Or um, not Periscope. And, <laughs> yeah, no, Periscope's dead, remember? We 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 found that. Um, or on our Discord, and, and we'll get you answered the so let's say hypothetically we have funding but it's you know obviously funding from vcs is not a publisher once we have funding how do we go get a publisher and does having funding jeopardize your opportunities for the publisher
2: really good question something that people don't often ask no the more money you have yourself the better why Negotiation. And I'll give you a, a couple of examples here, trying not to break any NDAs. Um, <laughs> um, let's put it this way: a lot of publishers have different ways of evaluating a negotiation and a contract. Some of them uh, have like a, a clause where it's very simple. You know, they equal the cash versus cash investment, and then they evaluate the rev share based on that. And after that, there is usually performance clauses or you know bonuses and something on X amount of sales. And that is honestly kind of like a very old school model. I'm not a huge fan of it because at the end of the day, cash versus cash investment in an unproven IP is not the way to do things, in my opinion. Um, Other ones uh, allow you to use public funding as kind of like an inclusive in your pitch. So let's say that you have a half a million dollar pitch. You brought 200K from soft funding, then that counts as your portion. And then you've basically invested 40% of the project yourself, which is really good. Um, so going back to Jay's version of, let's say you're fully funded, that is the best possible situation you can be in. Now you of course have two ways here, uh, but you asked about publishing. So I'll stick to publishing actually. So for publishers, if you have everything funded, then the first thing you want to do is even if you're fully funded, ask for upfront cash, a so-called minimum guarantee, because the thing is if the publisher wants to sign with you, it means they believe in your project, plain and simple. If they're not willing to suck up upfront cash, you probably don't want to work with them. Honestly, that's the, the first point I want to make every single publisher that wants to sign you means that they believe in your product. It means they're going to make their money back on their investment. And usually they have an internal policy of at least times three to five. So have it as a very bottom baseline. Some of them are higher. It's, I'm talking lower budget now, of course. So for lower budgets, below 1 million, usually they have a three to five, like they want to get return on their investment. So, if you already invested the whole thing their investment will then be marketing let's say localization let's say qa so not only do you want to ask for a minimum guarantee you also want to ask for a marketing guarantee every contract gtr signs have a marketing guarantee regardless of the scope of the project and the bigger ones it's hundreds of thousands and the smaller ones it's tens of thousands and again a publisher will say yes to this if they want to sign you so no matter how big your scope is, let's say you have a tiny scope, like a hundred, two $200,000 project, all funded, ask for twenty, 000, thirty thousand 30000 marketing guarantee. You want to make sure that when you sign with a publisher, they believe in you. And if they keep saying that, yeah, you know, we really believe in you, but, you know, we want to wait. We're not sure how much marketing <laughs> we're going to spend. You're like, okay, bye-bye, go next. It's very simple. If they're not willing to put a number in the contract, they are not your part. Plain and simple. If they claim that they believe in you and they say they can't put a 10,000 euro marketing guarantee in there, come on, man! you know, so always negotiate a minimum guarantee of upfront uh, cash. And this should usually be at the very least like a fifth of the forecasted sales. So let's say that you're forecasting a million dollars in revenue. Try to ask for 200K upfront at the very minimum. Okay. And then on top of that, if it's a million dollar project, you should at the very least ask for fifty dollars to $100,000 in guaranteed marketing. So for a uh, $1 million project, again, two to $300,000 in total commitments from the publisher is a, a pretty good deal. That's pretty good for you if you're fully funded. And then, of course, because you brought most of this money yourself, if you make like an easy calculation, you're bringing, you know, over 60% of all the funding, you need to also negotiate your ref share. And here is another big red flag, which is if the publisher wants to recoup 100% first, if you brought your own money. Okay, so if you've already invested tons of your own money and the publisher comes in and wants to take 100% right away, then that's a lot of risk for you. So try to negotiate at least at the worst case scenario, an 80-20, you know, in the publisher's favor, where you you get 20% revenue share right away. And of course, after the recoupment, the revenue share goes back in your favor. Neon Doctrine, or x another indie, just launched their publishing contract publicly, which is a great way for you as an indie to take a look at a proper publishing contract, which is very fair. And if you look at that, it's a very good contract for indies. They take 70, 30 in the publisher's favor until they recoup, and then it it's usually 60 or even 70 to you as the developer. That's extremely fair. Now, with a lot of the larger publishers, this will be hard to negotiate, just so you know. They will want to take higher rev share because they have A huge fan base, they have a pre-existing customer base, they have a lot of marketing and branding value that they also bring to the table, which then basically means that you have a higher ceiling of guaranteed sales. All of this aside, every single publisher needs to put a guarantee of some sort for you, especially if you're fully funded. So I guess the the answer to your question, Jay, is that even if you're fully funded, ask for money. More money, (laughs) more money. money, more money.
1: Ask your money, get money wherever you can. All right, so I can already tell from the number of questions that are coming in here, both in the stream <laughs> and on Discord, we may run a little bit late today.
2: Um, no worries.
1: <laughs> where, where, who's up next, Ed? We have Silver koi
0: When or what stage of game development should we look for publishers to send pitches?
2: Great question, and there is no right answer here. Uh, because some publishers will basically have an internal, not blacklist, but if your first pitch and demo was really bad, they'll put you in the bottom tier. Not everybody does. So from my experience, 70% of the publishers are very excited to see the progress between your first pitch and when you pitch them again six months later. Me as Pontus, aka GTR, that is like key for me. We've previously passed on studios that pitched us And then six to 12 months later, we've ended up signing them because we can actually see all of those words you put in the pitch deck has come into fruition. So you can pitch it as early as you want. Like, that's the honest answer. You can pitch it in prototype stage, MVP, demo, vertical slice, doesn't matter. If you get denied, come back three to six months later and show us all the progress you've made. Most of you have a timeline and, you know, a roadmap or a production plan in your pitch deck, which is great for us to see. So if you pitch me in January with this roadmap, and let's say that you said that you can complete six months of work if you sign a publisher, you don't get a deal. You come back to me six months later and you were able to complete half of it without funding. That's very impressive to me. I can see you're able to deliver even without money, even with the full team. And that's extremely impressive. So we, I love that. Other publishers, some of them do, some don't. But I would recommend, at the very least, you have a 30 to 60-minute very good demo. And by the way, this is extremely key. A 10-minute extremely polished game is better than a 60-minute unpolished game. What I want to see is that what is the kind of quality your ultimate game is going to be. So if you can show me 10 minutes of your 12-hour gameplay that is incredible. I will be more impressed than 60 minutes of a half-assed demo. Okay, so I would say that what you want to focus on, rather than talk about what stage, try to show me as much as you can and as little as possible because you don't have enough money and time to build a two-hour demo for me. So focus on you know some of those mechanics you talked about and build a very polished 20, 30 minutes prototype, MVP, whatever stage you're at, and show that to me. And if I don't like it now, show me six months later again. And again, 70% of the industry will look at your pitch again if you come back later. Just make sure when you follow up in the email, you instantly tell me what changed, either in a one-pager or in the email itself. Like, hey, Pontus, I'm back now six months later. We did these 20 changes. We have all this new content. Would you want to take a look again? Awesome. You know, I'm like, heck yeah. You took the time to tell me all the changes, all the improvements you've made. I liked it before. Wasn't good enough. Of course, I'm going to try it again. So, yeah, I feel like I'm answering these questions too long. Uh, now you're doing good.
1: One of my favorite Ron Swanson quotes of, of all time, never half-ass two things, whole-ass yes. one thing. Yes. <laughs> That's good.
0: Okay, so here we go. We, we've got a question from Arthur Moyer on you, from YouTube. We are self-funded so far. I would like to get more funding, wouldn't we all? We do have a Steam page. Haven't released it yet, hoping to release an early access in Q3. What would you recommend? It's a okay, depends so answer, isn't it? Yeah,
2: but it's, it's OK. Uh, so the, the yeah. first thing I want to say is I'm sure some people here are wondering, should I open a Steam page or should I not? That's the first thing I want to address. The answer there is there is no right answer. Some publishers absolutely do not want you to have a Steam page. OK, so if you have one and you have no wish list, you're let's call it dead to death. That's the sad reality. So generally, try to be a bit careful on when you launch launch the Steam page. And if you do launch it, make sure you get some traction or some wish lists. That's very important. If you open a Steam page that's been live for 12 months and you have no traction, it will look very bad on you. And it's much better to not launch it at all. So don't launch your Steam page too early. Now, the second thing I want to address is the early access. Are you 100% certain you want to do early access? Because that kills a lot of potential partners as well. But you didn't mention publishers or investors, so I guess the funding question was very open. Um, but yeah, think very hard about your early access. Or if you're self-publishing, great. You know, We'll give you some revenue. We'll give you feedback. You can keep building. You know, You can make the game even better. I get it. If you're looking for a publisher, early access might not be the way to go. So be a bit careful when you pitch it. And I would recommend that you mention that you have the option of going early access. You think it's a good idea. What do you think, the person you're pitching? That's a better approach because if you come to me and you're like, I'm doing early access Q3, you might lose a lot of potential partners. But if you leave it open ended, I'm like, okay, so he likes early access. Maybe we can work around this. We'll see. So that's my uh, first thing. Now, on the funding itself, um, if you are already about to launch an early access, you should go out right now. Go out and pitch, man. Send an email to me, first of all and also send emails to other publishers and investors. Because if you're close to early access, it means you have a really, I'm assuming, a very long or a very good playable. So I would love to take a look at that before. The problem is if you launch in early access and you don't do it successfully, now you've lost 90% of us. Okay, Because if you've decided to do early access and you didn't pitch beforehand and you're looking for money after and you sold, let's say, 500 copies, you have 2,000 lists. I, I myself would not be very interested. If you haven't launched early access yet and you're pitching me now, then I'm interested. So keep that in mind. That's a It's a very tough decision, whether or not to go to early access, but the direct answer to your question is pitch it now before. If, unless you have, I don't know, 40,000 lists now, you have a guaranteed five, 10,000 sales, I would not wait with the pitching. Go out now to either a publisher or a VC or, or angels, I guess. I don't know your strategy because it's it's a short question. So yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, the next question from Latte Mate. I think that's how it's pronounced. But if it's not, that's how I'm going to pronounce it anyways. Uh, Latte,
2: Maddie. Latte, <laughs> He's latte. he's one of my staff, actually.
0: <laughs> oh, so he's and, just uh, you questions because... I guess bro. so. he's,
2: But it's a good question, actually, and I love it because he's obviously <laughs> helping us with our community. And it's a really, really good question. And actually, yeah. in my masterclass, I talk about this. So when should you start building and involving a community? Right now. Right if now. Start, right now. If you have not started already, start. And uh, building a community... Can be as simple as five people to a hundred. It doesn't have to be ten thousand. If you can, again, we talked about the pitch deck, right? If you can come to me with a hundred people in your Discord community with good feedback and all of this, that's better than nothing. You know, it, it really shows me that you're you're trying to build a community, you're getting feedback, you're talking to your fans, you're making changes maybe based on this community, and that's awesome. I, I, I've actually talked about this, I think, ten different speaker sessions. Go right now. Open a Reddit account, go on Twitter, go on LinkedIn, start posting snippets, start posting artwork, start posting concept art. Show All us right. what you're building and you're automatically going to attract people. Even if you don't have a game, yeah. build the community around you. Yes. yes. You are you your are, brand. I, I want to kind of call out one of uh, uh, one of our old developers called Space Ducks or ChronoSword with, uh, with the 21C Ducks. He has like 10,000 followers on his Twitter. And the only thing he does is post snippets. And he also, one time, he posted a tweet where he explained how to build shadows in 2D in a very simple model with his own tool, I think it was a sprite tool. And it went viral, well, viral. It had 10,000 likes and like 2,000 retweets. Tons of indie developers reacted to it. So like you guys said, build a community around yourself. Like, how do you build your game? How do you build your art? Or whatever kind of position you're What does you're your
0: in. studio look like? Yeah, whatever. Yes. What kind of exactly. earphones are you using? Yes, all kinds of stuff. Yes. People want to know that stuff.
2: Yes, especially okay. people like us. We because
0: right. <laughs> we're game nerds. Um yes. <laughs> Does Washington State have a funding service for games?
2: So I know nothing about America. I've never been to America, sadly. It was canceled uh, GDC two years ago, and I was going to go for my first time. So I'm probably the least American person that you know. So yeah. I cannot answer this. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know either because none of us are in, in Washington state, but I was in Washington state is, the other month,
0: out? but <clears throat> for a second,
1: <clears throat> sorry, I would reach out to your local IGDA chapter. They'll know, mm-hmm. um, or, or go to the, and, and the IGDA has a huge discord and all that sort of good stuff too. But, uh, that's where you should go to, to find out.
2: I, I guess I can actually jump in and say that, um, Soft funding or state funding is in most countries, not every everything, but in a lot of countries, and it's incredibly crucial. Okay, so I'm gonna jump back to our my stray blade story. So, they came to us with a half a million euro pitch, uh, basically convinced us with that very very early demo. I would even call it a prototype, that we decided to again up the scope to multi million dollars. We knew that they were capable of it because they had an amazing demo slash prototype, and we got state funding matching. So uh, I was leading around an angel funding round for the company. And we were able to match it with government grants, which, by the way, had no recoup, no nothing, straight up cash if other investors from the outside came in. And we ended up raising, I think, it was 400,000 euros, which allowed them to build a vertical slice that signed us the 1000000 dollar deal. So like Jay said, go to all your local industries, even like regular startup accelerators in, your, you know, in the region you're in and see if there are grants, state funding, technology funding, you know, R&D loans, all of these different things, and find it. What GTR does is we help you, if you're part of our accelerator, to match money in every single country where it's available. So we've done this in Malaysia, recently in Sweden, and we're going to keep doing this over and over, because it's free money, guys. And the thing is that the region grows when you grow. So they're inclined to give you money. Yeah. I like free money.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, here's where we go. Uh, which point in the game dev pipeline do you usually enter? I'm not sure exactly what that's talking referring to, but I'll let no, you know. Guess,
2: what, what, I, what, I guess he means what, the production what, timeline, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we, we only get involved if you have a playable. And it's exactly because, again, we're, we're business people. Uh, yes, I have a game design background. We just hired a producer, actually, from, Max Kubler from Crunching Qualys, uh, who just joined us last month which I'm very excited, X Tech 13 as well. But he's not going to do producing for you. Instead, we brought him in to help all of our studios more understand and build better pitches, and you know help scout and all of that. But again, back to your point, is that we get involved when you have a playable, any type of playable, whether it's mobile, PC, or whatever. Uh, we just want to see what you're capable of building. Because again, 90 95% of all pitches that we get you don't have a background. You don't have launched games successfully or whatever. So we're not going to judge you on that. I mean, what we do, we specialize in early stage, non-proven startups. So we're looking for people like you. We just cannot, let's call it, believe in you until you show us a product, no matter how early it is. Anything better than nothing, but like Jay and I just said, nail one thing or you know, full ass one thing and don't half as multiple things. That, that's really the key.
0: All right, so here's another question. It was kind of answered. Should devs stay under the radar with their projects until getting a (laughs) publisher deal? You just kind of said that, no, build your community from the very start. I've heard that publishers publishers prefer to handle marketing and might pass on a project that is already public.
2: Yeah, that goes back to the Steam page answer I I talked about, right? Like, yes, some publishers are anti-Steam page. Some are yes-Steam page. The reality is if you go public and there is nothing, that's bad for you, okay? So if you launch your Steam, you launch all your communities and there is nothing. It's not going to look good on you for any publisher or investor, which is why I'm saying start your community now, build up 100, 1000, whatever it may be. When you're ready, then you launch your Steam page. Then you launch everything else. Why are you in a rush? You know, th- there is really no need for you to be in a rush. If you need feedback, make a Discord channel. Invite your Twitter followers, invite your Reddit groups, whatever. Bring them to Discord and talk in there. There's no need for you to go public too early. But you know there is also those random cases where someone goes public very early, a random influencer sees it, and then boom, you explode, and you have a huge popular game. But the chances of that happening is not very high. So I would prefer you to build a community first before you
1: go public. So I've been answering questions fast and furiously in chat. And for those yep. of you who aren't in chat, one of the questions that comes up is going back to that whole Steam page and, and early mm-hmm. access thing. So, I mean, we obviously send projects out to a, a ton of publishers. What we see yeah. on the consulting side is one, like Ponta said, there's no right answer. Some publishers yeah. are going to come back and say, it's it has a Steam page already. We don't want to touch it. We're not going to look at it. That's it. They've already, you know, exercised their marketing rights and, and we can't control the narrative anymore. And so pff, we're out. Others, we send it to say, first question. How many wish lists do they have? How big is their Discord? You know they want to know that community up front. So, in general, you're going to lose publishers either way. You're either going to have already put something on Steam and they don't want to mess with it, or you've kept it under the radar and you don't have a community, and then they're not going to want to mess with. You're it.
0: always going to do something right and always do it wrong.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the the safe bet that we recommend and if you're listening to this podcast a year from now it may be completely different at this point as of july 2021 we would recommend have a steam page but don't sell the game just have it so you can wish list it because you do you know we do scouting for publishers and you know even some of our clients will look at a game And their knee-jerk reaction is, okay, this thing's been on early access for four months and it only has eight reviews. This is obviously horrible. And I'm like, it's a developer, they don't know how to market the game. And I have to kind of, you know, prod it along and say it's not like you're looking at a fully fully furnished game. So these things can adversely affect you. Um we recommend we as in the Powell group, not not Pontus. Pontus could Pontus gonna bring it, whatever he wants, uh, <laughs> you can make that Steam page, but just don't put the game up for sale yet.
2: Yeah, I mean that's totally fine as well. Like you said, there is no right or, or wrong here, and you know, just again, guys, if you're listening to me, like I said, I'm not always right. Jay's not always right. Nobody's always right. And the thing is, I uh, think that's Jay kind of nailed it. True, my wife is always right. Yeah, ah, what do you think,
0: Pontus? Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true no but like you said i think you hit it hit the nail on the spot there it's like you will always lose publishers or investors either way there is no right or wrong all right uh it
0: looks like you answered all the questions that were coming up in chat there jay
1: or right, somebody all right so silver coy was wondering to know if pontus had any thoughts on uh what was it indie fund indie game fund
2: Indie Game Fun. Oh, Which there we one? go.
0: Yeah, is indie-fun.com worth trying? Um, <laughs> one second.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay,
2: so. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I've never heard of this, and looking at their website, it's not really up to date. It's like 2019 and 2020, one post a year. So my assumption would okay, be Okay, no. boomer. I don't know. Okay, I I really don't know this one. I'm sorry. You're the oldest
1: one here, Dan. I know. I know. Shut up. Yeah, that's a (laughs) tough one. The short answer, you know, like we had in chat, was if you're curious about any of these funds. One, yes, checking to see the last time their website is updated is is a good thing. But two, reach out to the different groups that they funded, because, I mean, everybody's going to be proud of who they funded. So reach out to the developers and just, you know, ask them, like, were they good? Were they bad? Vet them just like you'd vet anybody else.
2: I I guess there's one thing more we can kind of add in when it comes to investors and publishers in general. And it's like, we talked about pitch decks, but we didn't talk about, you know, the actual documentation you'll need surrounding it, right? Like there's GDDs, there's all these different things where I'm not going to, Continue for 30 minutes, but one thing that's very important, you know, for us to understand if you do not have the previous capacity, is generally your internal documents, how you manage your system. So, you know, the budget breakdown, like in a regular spreadsheet. Uh, again, we in the pitch deck, you have the, the full number, 250, 1 million, whatever. How did you break it down in cost? What's each individual salary? You know, what's your salary rate compared to the general industry? Because some of you guys might be like uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's my first project. I'm going to pay myself half of the average salary. That's not what we want to see. You know, when we're getting pitched, we actually want to see how you're going to pay yourself a normal salary. And you're pitching us a full game with all of your staff having a normal salary. That's something some developers don't do. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm scared of asking for money. So I'm going to put in $500 each. That That's a red flag as well. You know, we want you guys to be able to have live with your families or you know, pay for your college or whatever, you know, make sure that when you do the project breakdown, you pay yourselves accordingly. Of course, not obnoxious amounts, but good enough money that all of your staff can live and be happy. And also when you build your production document of the timeline, that's also incredibly important. And that's an extra little kind of good touch is have you already thought about the kind of milestones you're gonna be building over the next couple of months? You can have this, One slide I like, which is not perfect, or sorry, necessary, is what's going to happen in the next three months, like in the first pitch you send me. Because the fact of the matter is, I'm going to review you, send it back to the team, we're going to talk about it internally, that it might take three to six months before a deal happens either with me or a publisher or another investor. And if you showed us in that first pitch deck, those three months timeline, and you delivered it during our whole conversation, that's awesome gives us even more like reason to trust you as a developer because you pitched us in this 12 slide deck what you're going to do in the next three months and three months later when we're about to talk terms you deliver all of it that's something that i, I personally like and just want to add time in this add in as an extra which is pretty awesome so the do side documentation do? Yeah, yeah do, do what, what you say you're going to do. do exactly it's easy to talk but you got to walk the talking Sorry, right i'm still answering a chat
1: um no worries. I'll, I'll save myself some typing here ways are ask you know are the government funding grants dependent on the country where your publisher or investor is based for the country where the developer is based they are dependent on who applies if you are a developer who are applying you need to be based in that country the whole point of these government grants is to support their own economy and do you know grow their own industries so if you're published, if you're submitting, you need to be in that country or area or province or state or whatever. Um, And then if the publisher's doing it, they need to be in that area. But um, I will point out one thing. So he follows up and says, RIP, United States developers. There is no federal funding for game development, but several states have their own programs. Like Louisiana has one. North Carolina where I am used to have one, but that got mixed. Uh, Georgia, I think has one. but there are grants available to you in the US. They're just all at the state level, not the country level. I just want to
0: make a point that the uh, the short answers from every single question that has been asked in this particular show is depends.
2: yeah exactly (laughs) I mean that really is the industry though right like there Mm. there are so many different opinions and opportunities the ultimate goal is find the right business partner that's that's all you really want to do and they are out there if you know you have all your stuff in order and again we're not expecting you to be perfect you're a new developer there's tons of stuff left to go so just show us the best you can again like this is all about you know just letting us getting to know you and showing as much as you can
1: all right, so we're already um, way over, and it's way over it's time. the middle of the night for for Pontus, and so yeah. you know,
2: I, I think last year we went thirty minutes overtime, so we're actually pretty good this year. Then, all right,
1: we have, <laughs> have fifteen minutes left. Um, the, or keep in mind, uh, Pontus is available on our Discord, so he you will yep. notice his bright yellow name over on guest of the show, where all the experts that we've had on are located, and that's at discord.gg slash indie game business um thank you so much for not only coming and sharing all this wonderful knowledge but doing it in the middle of the night when you know you should be
2: sleeping like a normal in the
1: person. still of the night
2: that's right that's it's only midnight you know it's friday right and <laughs> so it's all good <laughs>
0: all right indy yes sir thank you so much and make sure like you said we'll make sure and like and subscribe wherever you're watching from because it's really cool to do that kind of stuff i mean You should, isn't that what you're supposed to say anyways? Uh, Also, you can check us out, anchor.fm slash indie game business. Honestly, you could just like type in indie game business into Google and you can find podcasts, you can find videos, you can find live streams, you can find the website. Just do it. Figure it out. You guys are smart. You're developers, right? Should be easy to use Google. Come on. Why you got (laughs) to ask me these questions? All right. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, bonus. Have an amazing weekend, everybody. Oh, no
1: show next week because I'm on vacation.
0: That's right. You know what that means? Woo! I oh, don't.
1: Well, it's... yeah, Dan will probably tear up the house and, you know, it'll be just a <laughs> rip up
0: the couch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All, All right, right.
1: Have a good one. Bye. Thanks, everybody.